Listen carefully, please. The most important change agent that you possess is your mind. The place where you think, the place where you learn. Your heart can change you. Your heart is the place where you feel. I'll tell you what will really help you is if you learn to understand the difference between your mind, the place where you think and process truth, and your heart, the place where you feel, the place of emotion, the place of passion. By the way, there are places in the Bible that refer to the heart, and you can tell by the context that it's taking the heart and the mind into consideration together. And the reason it does that in those places is because it is speaking of the heart and the mind working together in a partnership. You know, when you hear people say, well, I know it's wrong, but I just can't fight these feelings. What they're telling you is they've ignored their mind and they've relied on their heart. The best thing you can do is to get your mind and your heart working as a team where you constantly feed your mind on those things that are consistent with your life's philosophies and your principles. And you also feed your heart on the things that are consistent with your life's philosophies and principles. Okay, If you feed your mind on good things, um, somebody needs to be back there. Uh, One of the ushers just, just... People corroborating out there. When when you feed your mind on good things and your heart on bad things, someday you're going to hear yourself saying, I know this is wrong, but I I just can't fight these feelings. That's how you get there. If you feed, for example, if you feed your mind on love, you know it's right to love. You know it's right to to love people in general. You know it's right, husbands, you know it's right to love your wife. Ladies, you know it's right to to love your husband. You know it's right to love your neighbor. You know it's right to love your your children. You feed your mind on love because you know it's right. But you listen to hate music. There's a lot of hate music out there. Music is heart material. There's a lot of hate music. and, And... Not just hate music, there's a lot of uh, non-love music. Okay, when I I was a kid, I'm going to church and I'm learning about love. God loves you, you love God, you love other people. Love your mom, love your dad, love your brother, love your sister. Parents love your children. I'm hearing going to church and I'm hearing love, 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 love. And then um, Monday through Friday, I'm hearing Barbara Mandrell sing about when you're married but not to each other. And if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. (laughs) The music is the heart stuff. So what I'm getting at church is feeding my mind, but what I'm getting at, at home, not at home, but I mean what I'm getting away from church, what I'm getting from the radio, is is preaching a conflicting message. There came a point when I was about 15 where I said, Stop! This stuff isn't helping me because I know what I'm feeding my mind. I know what my mind says. My, you know, I'm going, I'm hearing people preach about 
holiness and, and purity and keeping your life clean and pure. But my music was not backing it up. By the way, I also came to realize that the, the I never was big into movies and, and uh, there wasn't a, a whole lot of garbage available to me, but I began to realize even that the sitcoms that I enjoyed as, as a teenager were not, I'm not, I'm t- I don't mean to name anything, but, but uh, uh, I just want to tell you how relatively innocent I'm talking about. I'm just talking about, you know, uh, the Jeffersons. And, and uh, uh, you see, ah, that's an innocent one. Yeah, it was pretty innocent until I realized their message is not mess- matching what I'm learning. Where you, you're hearing <coughs> storylines about people cheating and laughing about it. When you're hearing stories about people living impure lives, immoral lives, and laughing about it. And I don't mean to pick on the Jeffersons. That's one of many. That was the first one I could think of there. Let's go uh, All in the Family or, or uh, uh, Sanford and Son. I mean, this is, this, is, this is the stuff that I enjoyed where I finally came to the realization that does not match that. So my head is getting one thing and my heart is getting something else. And when you feed your mind one thing and you feed your emotions something else, you will find yourself coming to the place where you say, I know this isn't right, but I can't fight these feelings. So, let's get back to the initial statement I made because that's really where we're going this morning. That your mind is the most powerful change agent that you have. Now, Do yourself a favor and forget about the clock because we're not going to be here a super long time. I don't have a super long message here. But if you can, first of all, if you can believe that, (laughs) and number two, if you can therefore forget about what time it is and say, okay, we got just a few minutes here together. Let me take this in. If you can try to take this in here, listen to these verses. Your mind is the most powerful change agent you have. Listen to these verses. Acts 20, verse 19 Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Romans 8, 7. The carnal mind is enmity. Enmity means the state of being an enemy. So how you think can make you an enemy of God. If I asked you how did you think this past week it would not seem as normal a question as if I asked you, what did you do this past week? Now, neither one is any of my business, but I'm saying if you're going to put yourself to the test, hey, how'd your week go? And we would right away go to, what did I do? Let's see, how, how, what kind of week did I have spiritually? What did I do this week? But God says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. So it's not just primarily about what you do. It's primarily about what your mind did. Where was your mind this week? The carnal mind is enmity against God. Listen to Romans 12 too. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So transformation is related to what you do with your mind. <clears throat> Romans 15 verse 6. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.4. This is troubling. 
The God, that's small g, and it's talking about Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Did you ever look at somebody in your life and say, it's so clear, it's so clear. I told them how to be saved. I told them about Jesus dying for their sins and rising again. I told them about it, and and they just don't see it. You're right, they don't see it, because the God of this world has blinded their minds. Ephesians 4.17, walk not as other Gentiles walk. Now, Gentile simply means non-Jew, and Paul was writing to a a church of mostly non-Jews, and he's telling them, walk not as other... Now, that doesn't really matter, by the way, the, the Gentile versus Jew thing today, but back then, understand that the Jews had always pretty much had the corner on faith in Jehovah God. And now through Jesus Christ, a a transition has taken place and the faith of Jehovah has, the, the, the Jews at this point have basically been put on the back burner because they rejected Jesus Christ and the non-Jews, the Gentiles have been put on the front burner. So the apostle Paul, who is called the apostle to the Gentiles, is helping the Gentiles adjust in their mentality. So Jew and Gentile was not such a huge thing. I, I'm sorry, is not such a huge thing now. It still matters, especially if you are a Jewish Christian. But it was much more of a big thing in the day when the Bible was written. So he says, well, we could read it this way. Walk not as other people walk. Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So the world is definitely selling us a lifestyle of empty-mindedness. Now, vanity, that means empty. And we're not talking there about um, ignorance or foolishness. We're just talking about living a lifestyle where your mind is running on fluff. Your mind is running on a bunch, of, a bunch of nonsense. And Paul says, if you're going to follow the Lord, don't walk as other, other people walk, where your mind is just fooled by, fueled by nonsense. Here, here's, here's the point of that. Your mind operates on fuel. I almost use this illustration, but I didn't want to take the time to, to develop it. But those of you that knows how, know how a car works, I'm sorry, Eric, I'm going to oversimplify this. But if you can understand, basically, you've got an engine, you've got a transmission, you've got wheels. Okay? The wheels turn. That's how you get from point A to point B. But you know that the wheels don't turn on their own. What makes the wheels turn? The transmission does. The transmission makes the wheels turn. But transmission doesn't run on its own. What makes the, what makes the transmission work? The engine does. Now, the engine, if it's working right, that does run on its own. So you've got the engine, which is the source of power, and the engine makes the transmission go, and the transmission makes the wheel turn. If you could translate that to your life, the engine is your mind, the transmission is your heart, the wheels are your will, your actions. But we all know this, that there's still something that makes the engine go. What is that? Fuel, gasoline, or diesel. What is the fuel? The fuel of the engine is, is whatever that is, gas or diesel or whatever your engine runs on. The fuel of your mind is truth. 
And if you don't feed your mind, by the way, you can put a bunch of garbage into your mind and your, your mind will run about the same way as your car does if you put a bunch of garbage into your car. You know, next time you fill up on, on gas, throw a gallon of milk in there with it and see how that turns out. You ever have trouble with your gas and you, or with your car and uh, maybe some of you have had this happen where uh, you take it to the mechanic and you find out somehow you got water in your gas. Now, water's a good thing, but it's not supposed to be in your gas tank. You got to make sure that exactly the right thing goes into that gas tank if you want it to provide the energy which makes the transmission roll, which makes the wheels turn. And the same thing is true with your mind. You got to have the right fuel in there. And Paul said to the Gentile believers in Ephesus, he said, Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. You cannot feed your mind on the same thing that people that don't know Christ feed their mind on. Not if you want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Listen to Ephesians 4.23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 1 Peter 1.13, gird up the loins of your mind. I love that. Gird up your loins means get dressed and ready to go to work. Gird up the loins of your mind means get your mind ready to go to work. I wonder how many days this week did you go out having done nothing to get your mind ready? You may have brushed your teeth, you may have combed your hair, you may have taken a shower, you may have even exercised and you feel real good about yourself. You ate your your special K or your whatever you eat and you did nothing to put your mind, to fuel your mind. Your mind is your most powerful change change agent. Now, let's go back and read our text quickly and then I'm going to fly through some things when we finished. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, and I want to remind you, by the way, scholars, some scholars believe that the last thing that Paul penned before he was executed, Paul was beheaded for preaching the gospel, and some believe that the last thing that he penned was the book of 2 Timothy. Many other scholars believe just as strongly that the last thing he penned was the book of Philippians. Either way, the book of Philippians was one of the very last things that Paul wrote before he was beheaded for the faith. And here's what he says. Finally, brethren, in the end of this letter, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, what did he just gave, give you there? He gave you a filter. A filter to keep pure the things you're thinking about. We could go through, and it would, we're not going to do it, but that would be a different message. But it would be worth your while to go through and just list true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praise. What do they mean? 
And how do they specifically apply to what I'm hearing? And how, how can I apply these things? But I want you to notice these things. First of all, clearly, he says, think on these things. He's telling us we need to think on purpose. Too many of us just think randomly. We, we let, as soon as we get up, we let the newsman start telling us what to think about. As soon as we get up, we let the television tell us what, what to think about. Listen, if your thinking is being governed and guided by the Associated Press and by the women on The View or even the anchors on Fox News, it doesn't matter. You do not want those people flying the plane of your mind. We need to think on purpose and we need to filter out bad mind influences. And we need to on purpose feed on good mind influences. Why? Because your mind is your most powerful change agent. I can tell you before God that this is honestly the truth that I consumed things mentally this week that changed my behavior. I'm thinking of a time right now in my mind where I was going to perform a task that I didn't want to perform. It was part of my job. I didn't want to do it. And I sat there and wrestled with going to do it. And I prayed. I said, Lord, you know I don't want to do this. And the Lord brought to mind something I had read. And it was, this is not an exact quote, but it's along these lines. If you shirk your responsibility, your duty, that was the word. If you shirk your duty just because it is disagreeable to you, you are not fit for your calling. And it wasn't long before I was, oh, okay, I'll go do it right now. Something I had read changed my behavior. I'm telling you, if you feed your mind properly and consistently, it will change you. God will use it to change you. Now, let me say, by the way, it is, it is God who does the changing. We're not talking about the power of positive thinking here. It is God who does the changing. But don't think that he is in the best position to change you if you don't obey him. And clearly, I read for you about a dozen verses that said he expects us to properly feed and maintain our minds. Let me ask you a few questions. What will you learn this week? There's so much about your God that you don't know anything about. There's so much about your faith that you don't know anything about. There are so much about amazing people who have lived in years gone by and who are living right now. And they've taken the time and gone through the pain of writing an autobiography or letting someone write their story. Some people uh, give their lives as as they go. they, They write a journal. Amazing people, people who did incredible things. But their books are dead unless someone picks them up and reads them. What are you going to learn from those amazing people this week? What are you going to learn? There's so many things about history that you don't know anything about. 
I don't care how learned you are. I don't care how many letters you have next to your, your, your name. There are so many things that you still don't know. Are you going to let seven days go by where you don't learn anything? And by the way, does it really have to be in a video for you to learn it? Now, if that's the only way you're going to learn, I'm not against it. But it wouldn't hurt you to, to read. Someone just called me the other day and said uh, that, that uh, you, we, we have some books. We're cleaning out a room of our house. We have some books. And we thought, man, nobody reads anymore. Who are we give them to? And right away, somebody said your name. And I said, what time can I come over? <laughs> they may have 100 books. I may already have 99 of them, but that one is a treasure. I'm not a great reader. I'm not a brilliant mind. But I keep feeding my mind. I keep feeding my mind. I keep feeding my mind. What, what will you learn this week? What will you read this week? There are so many life-changing books that you have never read. I almost did this this morning, but I did this several years at a youth conference that I preached at where I was talking about reading and and the importance of reading. And I took a bunch of books off my shelf that I had. When I was a kid and we flipped baseball cards, we called them doubles, and I still use that word. If you had two two of the same baseball, oh, I got doubles of that one. So, And I still use that word. So I had doubles of some books. And uh, I, I filled up a bag with a bunch of books that I had doubles of. And while I was preaching, I was talking, trying to convince the teenagers that, uh, hey, read the book. And I went up and down the aisle during one part of the message, and I just started throwing them on the floor. And after I'd put down a half a dozen or so, I said, you say, who are those books for? They're for whoever wants to pick them up and read them. And right away, people were scrambling to grab the book. That was probably 10 years ago. I still have people. Now they're young adults. I cross their paths, and I say, you remember that, pre- that sermon you preached? Yeah, I do. I read that book. That really helped me. And not only did it really help me, but I, I, uh, I, it made a reader out of me. You would be amazed at how it will change you if you begin to read. By the way, if I do get those, the, the books that uh, uh, we had to cancel on me, I didn't cancel, they canceled on me picking up those books. If I get them and there's a bunch of doubles, I'm just going to put them back there and you read them. You'd be amazed at what it will do for you. What will you read this week? Listen, if you're stuck in a swamp of self-pity, it's because of what you've been feeding your mind. And whether or not you get out of that swamp of self-pity will be totally up to you. Not the guy next to you. Not the person at work. You. What are you feeding your mind? Don't blame me or anyone else. It's up to you. To feed your mind. What will you read this week? What will you listen to this week? What will you memorize this week? With just a little bit of effort, you can have God's words in your heart forever. What will you study this week? The Bible's filled with incredible topics and truths that you'll never learn until you study them for yourself. Who will you let teach you this week? You know, I'm not trying to be abrasive, but you are not the source of all wisdom and knowledge, and I'm not either. Everybody in this room can teach me something. And everybody in this room can teach you something. You can talk to a five-year-old and learn something. Now, who are you going to sit with this week? And how about instead of... Hey, let's get a cup of coffee and let me tell you what you need to know about the pastor. 
How about, hey, let's get a cup of coffee and you can teach me some stuff I don't know. Well, I wouldn't want anybody to think there's some stuff that they know that I don't. I wouldn't want anybody to think that I think that they don't know anything that I don't know. Did I say that right? You know what I'm trying to say. I think I said it right. I don't want to have the air that everybody thinks, well, you can't tell pastor nothing. He knows it all. No, you know some stuff that I don't know, and when we have the opportunity to sit down and talk, I'm going to try to draw it out of you. I will probably not, unless you ask me to, take my time to try to expose to you or display to you my great wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to try to draw from you. Who will you learn from this week? What will you write down this week? If we had a mandatory sharing time right now, where's your resource? What would you pull out and say, oh, we're going to share? Let me see. Let me see something I wrote down this week. And uh, Oh, this is awesome. Thursday, October 19th. In times of isolation, get lost in God's word. I can't even tell you why I wrote that down. I was listening to somebody's testimony, somebody's story. And I've put myself in their shoes. And I said, what would I do if I were in their circumstance? And that statement just came to me. I pulled out my little book and wrote, in times of isolation, get lost in God's word. Uh, When it's your turn. Now, right now, I'm not talking about what you wrote down. I'm talking about right now, where did you write it? Do you see, we're, we're going through life on empty. We're going through life with no fuel for the brain. What will you write down this week? What will you ponder this week? You know, I'm going back to reading for a second. I was reading this week. I'm going to share this with the church. If you were in my adult class, I'm sorry. You're going to hear a repeat here. You're going to hear doubles. Um, but I was reading a book. I have, I have, I'm not kidding you. I have, I have 50 books on top of my computer desk downstairs that are all a work in progress. On any, any given day, uh, okay, I'm waiting for a phone call. Let me pull that one down. And while I'm waiting for this person to call me, I'm going to read from this. And, and it's, you know, they're not narratives, so it, it's not like I'm going to lose my place. So I can put it back up, and I won't get back to that for three months. I'll pull this one down. And I pulled one down this week, and it's called uh, The Making of a Man of God, written by Alan Redpath. And um, it's about David. And I read a statement in there about David, and it didn't, didn't I, I, I sort of lost it until I was teaching my class this morning. But Alan Redpath said in there about David, he's talking about that time when David is in his 20s, and he's a fugitive from King Saul. King Saul's trying to kill him. And David is like running for his life for 10 years. And here's a statement that it makes in there. It says, in this period of David's life, all of the circumstances told, were telling him that God's promises were not true. Wow. That's profound. That's profound. By the way, I needed that. Wednesday, when I'm standing up here on the front watching the wrecker pull the bus out for another $2,000 bill on the way. 
at this point in David's life, all the circumstances are telling him God's promises are not true. But I needed that. It fed my brain. And it gave me the faith to know, hey, God's in control. It's going to be okay. No matter what the circumstances say, God's in control. Hey, did you know God's in control? What are you going to feed your brain on this week? We're just about done. Let me stick with that reading for just a second. Read it. What are you going to read this week? I have this is a book called New Order. It's by a a, a not very well known preacher named Guy H. King. He lived in the earlier 1900s, and it's a message, a, a book about the Sermon on the Mount. This is not the most profound thing that you'll ever hear in your life, but I just wanted to give you a sample. This is also something I just pulled off the desk there and sat down and read a little bit this week. Let me give you one paragraph. The cost of the light. Shining is not the easy thing it seems. He's talking about being the light of the world. Shining is not the easy thing it seems. There's always a price to be paid. Wherever there's a light, there's sacrifice. It's true of every sort of light. It involves self-consumption, self-giving. Whether it's a candlelight, an oil light, a gas light, an electric light. And it is no less true of spiritual light. I respect you recall how the master, I expect you recall how the master speaking once in 1 John 5.35 of John the Baptist said, he was a shining light. Yes, you say. That's what I want to be. Well, wait a moment. That was not all he said. This was the complete sentence. He was a burning and shining light. There can be no shining without burning. John the Baptist himself admitted, I must decrease, John 3.30. So when we're told you're the light of the world, self-sacrifice is implied. Even as when he said of himself, I am the light of the world, his own unique self-sacrifice was involved. Let us then not be surprised if our faithful shining costs us something. I did not read that to you to edify you on that subject. I read it to you to give you a sample of what you didn't get because you don't read. I will admit to you, you're going to do a lot of reading uh, through empty fields to find one gem. That, that book's not an empty field. But you'll read through a lot of empty fields to find one gem sometimes. But it's worth it. What did you feed your mind this week? Pastor, you didn't really inspire me. I wasn't looking to inspire you this year. I was looking to, uh, this, this year, uh, this week, I was looking to motivate you that your mind is your most powerful change agent What are you feeding your most powerful change agent? Let's stand together this morning.